Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 100 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. Uh, Bill Sutton is with me. Bill, we're at, uh, we made triple digits. We made triple digits. I know. Hooray. Pop a cork or something. <laughs> Valentine's Day, no less. Valentine's Day made triple digits. Took us, uh, what, we started in January-ish of last year, maybe December. So it took us about a year and a month or so. That Oh, man, it's got to be two years. Yeah, that math doesn't add up. It's got to be at least two years. No, it's been at least two years, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good. I'm still uh, excited about doing it. We pick new topics every week and, you know, we got a pretty good uh, listener base. We're hoping to grow that as we continue to market what we're doing over here is Integra. And, and hopefully we're creating a, um, creating a, um, uh, looking for the word, uh, archive of good content for people to, to go back and listen to later. I know I refer customers to this stuff all the time. I don't know if they listen, but I definitely refer them to it and say, Hey, that's a good topic. Here's your answer. Now go listen to that podcast. Yep. I'd do the same thing. Happened last week on a in a meeting we were we were hosting for a client. Yep. Well, okay, that's it. That's all the celebrating we're doing. Now we're moving on to the topic for today. You ready? Yep, I'm ready. Well, on that note, uh, Heather Tat over at uh, Citrix put out a blog on uh, January 25th, so a month ago. Well, half a month ago, uh, and it was a, a looking back kind of blog. So with the title of it, Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops. Just in general, you know, that's both the service and the, the on-premises solution. Uh, looking back on 2021 and 2022 to talk about, you know, what they accomplished uh, in 2021 and 2022. That's the key to this, right, is um, I think it's it's we used to have this development cycle and then we had iterative development and now we just have constant development, especially the as a service stuff. Yeah, the as a service stuff, it just it, they roll it out as it goes along. So it, it's constant, like you said, just like. And it, just like about everything else, cloud, right? Well, yeah, that's part of the idea, as long as it doesn't break. And occasionally exactly. it does. And I'm not saying Citrix per se, but everything breaks. It's all human. Hey, I got a secret for you. It's all human beings that do all this. Right. At least for now. Well, maybe not all, but a lot of it's human beings. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I've got faults. Uh, well, absolutely. We all do. Yeah, lots of faults. All right, well, let's start uh, with talking about what Heather talks about here as in the past stuff they did in 2021. And the first one, and, you know, probably most important minus security. I think security today is the most important, but happy users and talking about what Citrix did in 2021 around uh, improving the user experience by evolving the HDX concepts which includes, you know, redirection and protocol and, um, you know, all kinds of things. Bill, what's this first one covering that they did? Yeah, to, to your point, it's all about really the end user experience. And this is about the enhancements they made to HDX in 2021, um, which of which there were many. Um, you know, the HDX forms the kind of the, the overarching um, uh, concept for the ICA protocol, the overarching features, feature set for the ICA protocol, which underlies everything that HDX does. Basically, they they in this in this article, they talk about improving audio redirection and playback with HDX adaptive audio, um, optimizing uh, throughput with adaptive throughput. And of course, that kind of encompasses the EDT. And then also, they've made some pretty good improvements, which I've actually seen on a couple of projects we've done for 3D related workloads, um, improving frame rate delivery, which has really made a made a positive impact on some of these larger, you know, beefy graphical type apps. Um, and then the last thing was they really significantly increased the frames per second um, for 4K monitors. I, I haven't had any experience with 4K monitors in Citrix yet, but 
apparently they've really improved it and decreased the bandwidth requirements. Yeah. So lots of lots of stuff. The, the the real overarching message there is trying to make a virtually a virtual machine accessed over remoting protocols and magic look and feel as close to a high end local machine as possible. Yes, closing the gap between what we see on an, on a physical regular fully provisioned endpoint versus uh, remoting protocol into a virtual desktop running in a data center or the cloud. And and for those listening, the gap will never be closed, but right. it will be to the point where it's more than acceptable to get the job done. I'll, I'll give you a brief example. This morning, uh, Zintegris founded a nonprofit that is a technology firm that works with other nonprofits. Uh, I was at their office this morning and I had to do a couple of meetings. And before that, I was actually streaming some audio, listening to music. And I did it in the virtual desktop and I did it intentionally that way without knowing. Let's see, I did it without knowing. And when I realized I was doing it that way, I didn't care because it works. Works great. Yeah, works great. Absolutely. I've run uh, I've run meetings from my virtual desktop like this um, without any issues, audio and video. Yep. Well, let's talk, uh, let's get technical for our listeners a little bit. Did you, was it redirected? Was it offloaded to the local machine or was it done in the virtual desktop and just so fast that you didn't know it? It was offloaded. Offloaded, right. That's the, uh, that's the last great barrier that until we change the speed of light, we're probably going to have to offload. Right. All right. Uh, next one is uh, accelerate your cloud transformation with PVS for Azure. Hmm. This will matter to you. I I haven't done this yet. Um, I've been thinking about you know standing up a PVS server in my my lab Azure tenant, but um, you know a lot of folks, especially in large organizations, really stick by PVS. Um, you know MCS is is not doesn't require the network component, doesn't require a separate server. Um, you know it's 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 arguably simpler, but a lot of folks have been doing PVS for years, like the the ease of being able to roll back and roll forward very quickly, um, just by flipping a flipping a setting on the V disk, uh, and that you know that's definitely a much quicker roll back and roll forward than you would get with MCS. Um, so that that's one of the reasons a lot of folks like this, uh, and frankly, it's just the there are a lot of of, of uh, admins out there that have just grown up on PVS and want to continue using it in the cloud, and this enables that. Yeah, in Azure, I should say. You know, I I kind of quit PVS. I don't know five years ago for MCS. However, uh, the legacy of it, the ability to take it into multi clouds, including your own private data center and maybe colo data center, um, the ability to rely on that technology, it it makes about as much sense as ever, uh, or as it did in the beginning, because it's solving the same challenges it solved in the beginning. It is. It absolutely is. And, you know, it, it, it's just much simpler from a rollback, roll forward perspective. I think that's what really folks like yeah. on the ability, the ability to easily move the workloads from, you know, one location on-prem into the cloud or vice versa, uh, just simply by copying a disk and importing it. Yeah. And who knows, potentially in these modern day IaaS solutions, you may actually control some or most of your network layer in that uh, fight between the the PVS admin and the network administrator, right. uh, plus it's all just probably fast as all get out. Yeah, um, yeah. has really <laughs> really changed the game. Yeah, we we're doing a project for a customer right now. Now it's an on it's not a cloud customer; it's an on prem customer that are we're we're doing PVS in a hyper converged environment. And 
Um, you know, my consultants are doing it, and they're they're of course very up to up to speed on PVS. But it's kind of funny when we are having conversations because I haven't touched PVS probably in four or five years. You know, being out of the day to day, and we didn't do much of it even four years ago, uh, as much of it. Um, but it still has its strong proponents. It still makes sense in a lot of cases. Um, but it's amazing, um, you know, that they've come this far with it and enabled it for cloud because. I really didn't know that that was ever going to happen, to be honest with you. Well, I, I love that it creates a agnostic hyperscaler image management solution. That's pretty powerful, really. It is. Uh, okay. Um, the next one on the list for 2021, uh, things that got, a, got done, uh, resiliency around service continuity. I know this has come a long way from the early days of Citrix as a service. Give us give us the highlights of this one. Yeah, there's a video here that probably explains it better than I could, but I'll give it a shot. Um, this is essentially um, enabling uh, the endpoint that is your, your, let's just use a Windows PC running the full workspace app. Essentially what it does is when you log in, it caches tokens for your apps and desktops so that if the control plane, the cloud control plane goes away and you have a direct network connection, to your um, workload, it will automatic. It will allow you to launch it if the cloud is so so to speak down. They also extended this to this was available only for the workspace app, the full Windows and Linux workspace app. But uh, they've now extended it to um, the Chrome and Edge browsers with an add-in. Um, yeah. You have to have certain versions of the workspace app for it to work properly. You still have to have the workspace app installed. But for those users that are used to using the web, they can get the same functionality with this add-in. But it is a little does require a little bit of massaging, so to speak, to get it to work right with the web add in. So if the uh, the workspace service, the back end database, if you will, is down, I still know how to get to where I got to last time and it'll take me. It'll try to take me there. Yes. If you open up the workspace app in an in a outage situation, it will actually tell you you're operating in outage mode. Um, and then you, but you, you don't really need to do anything special. You click on your app. If you're running the full workspace app, you click on your app. And as long as you have a network, you have network connectivity to the VDA, which is the, the server or desktop where your workload resides, it will connect you there too. Now, what if I don't, am I going to get routed through the cloud connector somehow and still make it there? You can, but only if that, if that cloud connector is up properly. Um, can you get there that way? It's really designed, or if you have Rendezvous um, enabled, that's another possibility. Um, you can still get there through the cloud connector, but but um, that's not ideal. This is, I mean, it's enlightening for me. We have our, we have our, some of our technical guys run our customer success calls now. And one of them was scoping out something for a client the other day. And he talked about the cloud connectors basically twiddling their thumbs all day long until you get into this scenario and all of a sudden they better be ready to do some work. That's right. That was, uh, it was great. I got to learn and that's, you know, that's where we're at and all this. I'm learning from these podcasts. I'm learning from listening to my own team talk. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's great to be the old guy. <laughs> all right. Next one says, uh, simplify upgrades with VDA upgrade service. I haven't experienced, oh, I don't get to experience this much anymore at all. Uh, but yes, this is definitely something that was a long time coming. Yeah, this is just um, yeah, something, like you said, that can upgrade the VDA um, automatically, automatically maybe, um, so that you don't have to go worry about taking the image out, and, you know, taking it out, putting it in maintenance mode if you're doing PBS or creating a new snapshot and upgrading it. It can do it on the fly. 
um, automatic updates of the VDA, um, but it does depend on the machine catalog type. Um, I haven't really delved into this. This is still in preview, um, but I haven't delved into this personally myself to see the ins and outs of it. Yeah. And I don't know for a lot of admins that they want it to auto update, yeah. but knowing that it could, if you want it to, is, is valuable. Yeah. So the next one uh, also says preview, and this is streamlined image management with image portability. You and I just talked about a minute ago doing that somewhat manually by moving that uh, that virtual image around within the PVS uh, farms and sites. Uh, what is the uh, portability service about? Yeah, it's really about, like you said, uh, images across hybrid multi-cloud deployments. So you can move your you can move your image, like if you've got it on prem and you want to move the image to Azure or AWS. Um, you rather than just copying it up there, you run the portability service, and it essentially, uh, it's almost like you remember the 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 old days, I guess, where you you might have to convert an image from VMware to Zen Server, or probably more likely the other way around, um, or from you know Zen Server to Nutanix or some AHV, something like that. This kind of automates that process uh, from on-prem environments to the cloud. Um, again, it's in preview. I haven't. This is a uh, one you have to sign up for. I haven't actually tested it. But I'm familiar with one of the people that helped put it together, um, and he's talked a lot about how it, it it really makes it simpler to move your workloads from on-prem into the cloud. So I find this one really interesting because yeah. the competitors on the VMware side, they've got the ability, they've got the benefit of having the VMware ESXi platform on-premises, in colos, in clouds, hyperscalers as a native hypervisor. Uh, Citrix having the ability to do this and, and taking on the task of doing it native for the hyperscalers, that's their way to overcome, overcome this disadvantage and possibly make that um, need to keep the hypervisor as a consistent across the different platforms, make that go away. Exactly. That's, that's really what it's part of what it's designed to do. And the reality is we're just talking software and drivers and, you know, basic images, they're all the same, but um, yeah, that's it's not that far fetched to say, okay, why do you have to have the same set of tires? It doesn't matter what kind of tires the car has. We'll move it with whatever tires you want them on. One and on. Sorry, that was an Andyism automotive example. Support for uh, Microsoft Windows Server 22, 2022 and, and Windows Client 11. That's pretty straightforward. Um, obviously, I actually it built in my lab. I built a Windows 11 VDA and uh, worked just fine uh, with 2109. I had, I think I had 2112 running and it worked just fine. So this is just all about Citrix um, supporting the latest releases of Microsoft's operating system software. I thought Windows 10 was the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't we all? <laughs> Until the marketing guys know, needed to change the story and then all of a sudden it became 11. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, there's lots of new stuff under the hood. The biggest thing I noticed was the start button was now in the middle of the middle of the bottom of the screen instead of the left. So that was a little different. Yeah, they finally gave into that UI that the other guys have been, yeah. multiple other guys have been moving us towards. Exactly. Uh, let's see, this next um, section talks about rollout Citrix managed Azure for all Citrix virtual app and desktop service editions. So not, not the on-premises, but the service editions. I don't know what this means. Help, help me understand. Yeah, I mean, this is really about creating a bank um, of service credits, if you will, uh, and manage the Azure. They can deliver DAS workloads um, 
simplifying the management. Um, you, I'm not all that familiar with this because I don't know that we've done it, to be honest with you. But uh, this is really about spinning up uh, things from the marketplace, kind of similar to the next one as well when we get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use your own consumption funds in your account balance to, to offset the operating expenditures, expenditures or Citrix can bill you for it. Uh, so this is kind of where you're you're, you're you're spinning up or you're you're buying your CVAD environment with a managed Azure, almost like an Azure subscription attached to it, and you can use those credits that you buy to fund the consumption costs uh, versus paying them as you go, kind of similar to what most folks most folks would do if they just signed up from the Azure Marketplace. This is kind of where tech and the business part of the business all comes together. Yeah, and it becomes part of a part of part of an offering. I don't know what size customer this fits, but I'm sure there's some out there where this makes sense. Yeah. And then that gets us to the next one. That's easy to deploy of uh, desktop as a service. Uh, desktop as a service. And I want to stop and highlight a word that's missing there. Experience um, desktop as a service simplicity with quick deploy, but in no point in time does it really include managed desktop as a service. That's where people like us come in. Right. We can still. That's absolutely right. Yeah, this the quick deploy is just an easy deployment interface. Um, they called this something different before, but now it's expanded. Um, you you can very quickly deploy them using the quick deploy wizard. You can the customer can use their own subscription, or they can leverage what we just talked about, the managed Azure uh, where they're billed by or where the credits are applied or they're billed for consumption. Uh, it just makes it easier for them to spin up the desktops, you know, quicker and easier to spin up desktops quickly. Um, uh, kind of that's redundant, but you get the point. Yeah. Um, so the next one, we could have used this a couple of years ago, but it's good to hear now, uh, enable new environments, new environments to use Azure Active Directory group-based support versus having to tie back into a traditional on-premises type of Active Directory. Exactly. That That's, yeah, just using Azure AD groups. Um, you can assign your users to manage the environment um, using Azure, Azure AD groups rather than having to leverage your traditional on-premises um, AD users and groups uh, makes it a lot easier to manage. Um, Bill, if you were a brand new customer rolling out a brand new IT shop, Azure Active Directory all the way? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you're going to, you, really the, the, I think the, the indicator for that is going to be obviously somebody doing brand new is going to do office 365 and you're going to, you're going to have Azure AD out of the gate just for that. I mean, you, you don't have to have office 365 to, use Azure AD, but you have to have Azure AD to use Office 365. So most folks are going to go that direction for email and, and applications, and that's going to get you in the Azure AD family. And, and they're, they've really, Microsoft has really done a lot with Azure AD. Um, this is one piece, of course, where Citrix has taken what they've done and allows you to leverage the group memberships. But you've also got Azure AD hybrid join now where you could actually join workloads to Azure AD as opposed to having to have a, a traditional domain controller to join them to. There are some limitations, but they'll over time, they'll overcome them. Yeah. You know, one of my, uh, my technical fork in the road where I could have gone more technical in my career would have been after doing Azure, I mean, excuse me, Active Directory supported Microsoft. I wonder if uh, this move towards Azure would have made my career or broke it. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, one thing's for sure, it changes all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, r- literally all the time, every couple of days or something new. I, there's, there's a, 
couple of uh, YouTube channels that really go deep into this. They, you know, guys that work for Microsoft that have created a YouTube channel um, that that he covers things every Sunday. He posts a video of what's changed. And it's also, it's always got, it's always about 20, 20 to 30 minutes worth of content. So that, that shows you how quickly things change. Now, a lot of it doesn't affect us in the EUC community. Uh, Some of it's about containers and other things, but the point is it, uh, it changes fast. So I think you know, you have to stay on your toes uh, to to keep up with it big time. Well, and that's the um, the reality of digital transformation, which you've heard me talk about a lot lately. Yeah. In a, a digital workspace strategy, all those changes matter to us and the customers who are working with us on their digital workspace transformation. Yeah, but I mean, I think like you know the the customer that you were meeting with last week. I don't know that whether or not they really. Um, well, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks don't, um, don't necessarily get the digital transformation or not digital transformation. Most customers get that now, but the concept of a digital workspace, um, you know, being able to access apps and desktops, uh, whether those apps or desktops are virtual desktops or virtual apps, or whether they're SaaS based apps, being, have one place where you go to get to everything really yeah. is what it boils down to. You know, I'll go as far as to say most customers don't, uh, they don't totally have a digital transformation strategy in place. They're they're doing bits and pieces along yes. the way. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that in, that includes us. I mean, we it got, is. Yeah, we're we're a digital transformation, digital workspace company, and and uh, we're struggling. Uh, not not struggling. We just we're. I guess one part of it is we're so busy doing this for customers. We don't. We ha- ours ours is happening ad hoc, which isn't the way to do it. Yeah, it's taking a backseat to to dealing with and addressing customer needs. Um, and I think that's, I don't think that's uncommon, frankly. But for anyone listening, and if you're having meetings with me, you're going to start hearing this. Tell me your digital transformation strategy in, you know, a hundred words or less, and you should be able to do that. And if you can't, then uh, we need to help you get there. And then once you start figuring that one out, then how are you going to access it, AKA digital workspace strategy? Uh, you, you may have heard me say, uh, well, actually on a call maybe this morning, that if a customer truly just wants to use VDI to get to their digital transformation and whatever colo or data center or cloud they, they, they're putting it in, there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the question is whether that's really, that, that's not whether that's really digital transformation per se, it's part of it. Uh, but really, it depends on how you view digital transformation. In my view, digital transformation is about getting all of these paper-based and, and manual-based processes digitized, as it were. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are, but, uh, you know, getting a lot of that process, that those workflows, documents, and everything into more of a digital platform so that they people have ready access to them, easy access to them when they want it and so forth. Uh, that's a big part of it, but I'm sure I'm missing a lot more. Well, so it depends on who you're talking to and what phase they're currently in. The first phase of that was getting the manual stuff that's done without technology into technology. Right. And then for a lot of companies, they're in phase two of that, which is how do they get it into cloud services and things that are less dependent on them and they're not hiring a whole workforce of right. technology people. A quick example, my second techno- my second company I worked for was a shoe retailer and uh, the I think there were almost as many IT employees in the corporate office as there were other employees. Uh, that is a problem and shouldn't have to be the case. No. They were digital, digitally transforming a legacy business and doing a great job of it. 
at what point does it become where a lot of that stuff that 10 people maintain turns into one or two people, you know, work with a service to get it done. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, number 10, last one on the, uh, what, what got done, not the last one, but the last one on this list is uh, protect your corporate data with expanded support for app protection. Yeah. Well, app protection is essentially the, the we've talked about this on previous podcasts the ability to, uh, protect sessions from key loggers and screen captures and those sorts of things. And uh, I think it's always, it's, it originally was made available in the service, um, the virtual apps, virtual apps and desktop service uh, with the workspace in the cloud, but now they're bringing it on-prem uh, for those that have storefront um, on-premises. So I think uh, it's still, you still need to see that service, but if you put storefront on-premises with your ADCs on-premises, then this will be extended into sessions launched therefrom. What uh, what what do you think the adoption of app protection has been by customers? That's a good question. Um, I'd like to think it was it's high, but my my gut tells me it's probably medium adoption, medium level adoption, yeah, a mid level adoption maybe. But, but you and I have been you know thinking for years if we could just get some of this things that app protection does in place we would uh, we'd finally get over the total ability to you know, provide a secure working environment. I think people like you and I have asked for that for a decade now, but yet now that it's here, we haven't implemented it because maybe we didn't need it as bad as we thought, or maybe we, we just, uh, we're kind of taking it for granted. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And, you know, the, the, um, the other piece of this that's not really mentioned here, but the other piece of, it's not really app protection, it's more, uh, monitoring is the, the the session recording pieces that go go along with this, and the ability not just to protect from keyloggers and screen captures, but also to to record sessions where strange things are happening, or along you know with uh, with with uh, triggers that you know start recording when they when it sees something unusual. That that's that's protecting the customer as well, and we definitely don't see much adoption of that. Yeah. Now. Taking number 10 and comparing it to number one, happy users, is that the problem and why we haven't done this? <laughs> yeah, I think it, that probably part of it. Uh, part of it is that. Part of it is I, I don't know that it's it's widely known that this is cap- that is capable of this. Um, but yeah, uh, they, I mean, I don't think your average happy user is going to really be affected by the keyloggers, but the screen captures, um, you know, and I know that there were some challenges with that in the early days. Um, where folks could do, you know, like a Snagit or a or a print screen or what have you. Yeah. Um, and I think that sometimes folks have gotten used to being able to do that when they need to, and yeah. they can't, then you get the unhappy user potentially. Right. Yeah, it's like keeping that key under the rock in the backyard. Someday you realize that's not a secure way to do it because everybody's looking for it. But then that day you need it. Man, you wish you had wish you hadn't have done it. That's right. All right, uh, almost done here. The next section talks about preparing for the next long-term service release, LTSR, by implementing the current long-term service release. Uh, is that what I'm talking about here? The 2112 current release? Is that, oh, that that's that's the current release that's going to start pointing our ship in the right direction towards the, the coming LTSR. Yeah, they haven't. I don't think they've actually decided on which which version in 21, uh, in 2022, Will be the, uh, the the LTSR, but I think what they're saying here is get ready for it by deploying twenty one twelve, which is the latest current release, 
uh, into pre-production environments. Uh, that way you'll get, you know, customers will get familiar with it and understand what's changed and test their apps and all those sorts of things. And then when the LTSR hits, which will be based on code, probably that comes out subsequent to 2112, they'll be ready for it. Yeah. Okay. Then I'll let's decipher 2112 CR stands for year 21, month 12, current release. Correct. Exactly. And then LTSR is the long-term service release. Uh, when they release it, it'll have a similar version number to 2112, probably. Um, whatever the one the version number is that becomes LTSR. And then that's, I believe that's supported for five years under regular support and then five years under extended support, unless that changes. Yeah. And an important thing is that last sentence that you highlighted. So go Hold ahead. On, before you go there, if you're running as a service, Citrix, does that LTSR conversation mean anything to you? Um, I don't, it does, it does only in the sense that you, you may want to consider having a certain VDA on your endpoint uh, or on your, your, you know, on your server or not your endpoint, but on your server or your hosted desktop. Um, You may want to have the CR version of it there just for support reasons, but a lot of customers go ahead and move it forward so that the two align, but it depends on your industry. It depends on your, your posture. Uh, a lot of customers want to stick with the, the the LTSR version of the VDA on their on their on their VDA, um, just to stay you know stay with a with a supported release and with uh, and not not having to update it frequently. Yeah, and and I guess what I was really highlighting there, which I don't know that you necessarily said, is the if you're on the as a service, it's LTSR or whatever the current release is. Current release is that's what you're on, whether you right. know it or not, and right. It's good for you. Great. If it's bad for you, too bad. It's that's what you're on, and and for the most part, it's going to be better for you. And if something's broken, somebody else will fix it, and you just keep rolling. Yeah, I mean the 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 server side or the control plane, which is what we call all the components that are running in Citrix Cloud, Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop Service. That's going to be that's going to be iterative and and up to date and at the latest release, pretty much always. Um, but you know, and if you want to get the latest features then you need to go with the, the latest CR on your VDAs, but a lot of customers want to stick with an LTSR VDA, um, again, so they don't have to update them frequently. Uh, they know they're a known commodity. They've been tested, particularly healthcare are going to stick in those type of, um, stick with the LTSR versions. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, getting started covering this up. What happens, uh, what happens next? Uh, well, one thing we we should mention is, uh, which is, I think is the paragraph before, is that uh, 715 LTSR is end of life in August of oh, this yeah. year. Um, so obviously, customers should take a look at that. Uh, that would be, um, I believe, that would be the first five year end of life. Um, so it will it will it will shortly thereafter go out of support. Uh, but probably need to start looking once the new LTSR is is announced, start looking at getting an upgrade, um, moving that to the latest version. Obviously, if you're as a service, you don't need to worry about any on-prem components, which might be might be storefront if you have storefront on-prem or obviously the VDAs may need to be upgraded. Um, so reach reach out to us if we can help. Yeah. Not not that hard these days compared to yeah. old days, but there's still a lot, there's a lot to know. Yeah, absolutely. And if you get into a bad spot, you're gonna to wanna to, you're gonna want somebody there with you. Somebody who's done it before. So, Bill, that's it, right? That's that's uh, that's what uh, what Heather I think it was Heather. Uh, looking back up here, yeah, Heather wrote in this article. Good good stuff, and it just continues to highlight 
uh, where the stuff is going and how challenges uh, are being solved and continue to be solved and honestly moving faster than they did in the old days when it was a on-premises uh, install. Much base. faster. Yeah, much faster. I mean, it's a quarter release, and whereas it was probably once or twice a year before. I've been in some cases weekly or daily, and we don't even know it. It just well, yeah, yeah. In the in the cloud, you're getting weekly or daily. In the on the on-prem world, it's quarterly. But they, even that's faster than it was because oh, yeah. of the cloud, I believe. Yeah, I think we went from a iterative development. We went from a you know code base that lasted I don't know five years back in the day to iterative yearly, maybe even monthly develop quarterly developments. And now the cloud is developing faster than that. And the uh, on-premises stuff, uh, perpetual solutions kind of just come along with it um, and happen as fast as you can upgrade them, Mr. Customer. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right, Bill. Well, thanks. It's uh, good to have you on here for the hundredth. And uh, yeah, it's great. Doing another, at least another hundred more. Uh, yeah. Let's keep them going. We got to find some uh, young whippersnappers to bring in and let them, let them uh, take, take some of this off our plate. Yeah, we do. You're right. We need to get some, you know, somebody that's, uh, you know, new to it or relatively new to it and and hungry and eager. Not that we aren't. I try to stay up with this stuff as much as I can, but you're right. You know, us old guys probably need to start bringing some younger blood into this thing. Well, we brought Ben on. We did. <laughs> uh, you know, how do you do that, though? How do you bring in guys that didn't start with Winframe? Uh, well, you bring them in and within, you know, at the level they started, maybe they started with, uh, I don't know, presentation server. Maybe they started with when it was in app, um, and they just take them forward from there. We can help color commentary, the, the old stuff and let them take the new stuff. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that to me teaching my kids to drive a manual transmission car. <laughs> um, it wasn't that hard. And, and now they have an idea of what driving a car in 1970s was like. That's right. That's what I learned on. Yeah. Well, I think the key there is they wanted to learn. Yeah, that's right. That that's and that's always the key is is as you've said it before to be curious about technology and curious about the technology space you're in and beyond. Um, goes a long way towards the kind of person that can can attend these and and add value to these types of calls. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, yeah. I'll probably be talking to you later today. Have the rest of a good day, anyway. You too. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm.